Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show, The Big Show. Here we are from north of Elba, Alabama, in the rain. We're driving. For those of you who use Elba, Alabama as your touchstone of where people are. Today's topic is building yourself a stealth retreat. And we're talking about something that's a little different than than you're going to be seeing in a lot of the quote-unquote fiction, the prepper fiction. And when they talk about uh, uh, retreats, now one of the one of the books that's well known in prepper fiction for today is a book called Patriots. It's by uh, John Wesley Rawls. And if you've read Patriots, you know what it's all about. If you haven't, well, uh, it's a it's about a bunch of people who build a retreat in. I believe it's Idaho. It's out west somewhere. I believe it's Idaho. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it is. And it's the overall story we're not going to get into, but a major part of the book, it's a fictionalized way of telling people how to do the type of retreat that he talks about. And even in that book, he talks about the kind of retreat that we're talking about. But basically, that retreat is a rural, standalone, standoff shoot you if you come anywhere near us type retreat. And for those people who happen to have a spare couple million of dollars sitting around, it's quite workable. Then there are the rest of us, those of us who don't <laughs> make that kind of money. We, we have bills to pay. We have mouths to feed. We have uh, dance lessons to do. Uh, a lot of us apparently are married to going to softball games every single night <laughs> of the year. Okay, parents, I don't get this. This is my one aside for the podcast, and we'll be out of here. I get one aside every podcast. Parents, softball is fine, but you don't have to live your entire life around your child's softball games. I promise you. Or your soccer games or whatever. They I can play you. and have fun without you. They can have fun without you. I promise you. And the coach and other people involved with the team will have more fun if there aren't a bunch of parents breathing down their necks. Yes. I referee a sport, and sometimes I referee the children's version of the sport, but not when I can help it, because it is so much more pleasant to referee for adults who are doing it as a, you know, it's just a unpaid, fun, hobby sport. So much more fun to referee for them. Than for the parents, because, of course, even though there is no real long-lasting meaning to winning or losing these games, there is so much drama from the parents. The kids are fine. It's not the players. It's the parents. Yeah. So my aside got sidetracked by her aside. Yeah. We're not talking about, this is not what we're talking about. That's our aside. We got it out of the way. So we're going straight on topic. We're laser beaming onto the topic of building a stealthy survival retreat that is affordable. It's kind of fun. And it's a challenge. And it it has long-term value even if nothing ever hits the fan. That's right. If nothing hits the fan, you still gain value from owning it. The thing about this is the fact that you have it isn't stealthy. The fact that you're developing it and spending some time there isn't stealthy. The fact that it's actually a prep is the stealthy part. Yeah, nobody will know you as a prepper. It's something that, that people do. And we live in a small town. I know people who have done it and not as a prep. Just because they wanted to have 
They wanted to get back to the roots. What we're talking about is buying an old, possibly somewhat, to a point, depending on your skills and time available and money, distressed rural house in a small town. Now, first, let me define what I mean by a small town. I like my small towns to be a county seat, if possible, of 2,500 people or less. But you can go a little bigger than that. You can go up to four. I'd like to keep it under 5,000. That's a small town. Everybody knows everybody. Everybody knows your business. Or they think they do. Um, you want a tight-knit community. Okay, We're talking about a town where you might have a dentist in it. You might have a doctor. You certainly want to have at least one nurse practitioner. It, if it's a county seat, which is what I recommend for various different reasons, including security, uh, the police stations will be in town. Usually a county seat will have a, a police station and they'll have a sheriff's office right there in town. So you've got a lot of, a lot of uh, law enforcement available in town. If the place is rural enough to suit your needs, it is unlikely to have law enforcement if it is not the county seat. Right. And these law enforcement people in rural areas don't tend to be too intrusive. They're not as, what's the word I'm looking for? They live very much with their neighbors in these towns, and they're not power tripping on it. Right. And the sheriff, like the sheriff's office? They, he has to get elected. He has to get elected. <laughs> so if you you're a, if you start to do a power trip and jerk, you are out of there. You are so gone. You're not surviving your primary election, let alone. Because we see this all the time. We see guys, I'm the sheriff. Well, you are for four years. <laughs> bouncy, bouncy, <laughs> and then, bouncy. Then you're gone. So yeah. anyway. And uh, and usually in a small town, and I'm serious, there's like sheriffs and then you got the other the kind of sort of sort of opposing law enforcement guys, and they go back and forth between being the city police chief and the sheriff. <laughs> they kind of and they run against each other for the sheriff, and the loser ends up being the police chief. This happened. I don't know how many times this happened in this area. Yeah, it's a so small town. It's a small town, but you know, if the guy is really hardcore and, and annoying. He's not going to get his job as a police chief either. So you got to keep it in mind. It's a small town. Yeah. That's one of the things that restrains bad behavior is having to ha uh, have some of the good regard of your neighbors. And a town of 4,000 or smaller is small enough that people feel in a meaningful way the opinions of their neighbors. And it because every vote helps at keep this them situation, from being jerks. Every vote does count when there's only 300 of them. They count. Yeah. You know, the big elections, it's hard to argue that, that, that uh, you know, one vote makes a... But in a little town, so many times you see these elections come down to one vote. And, in fact, we've had in, in our area, we've had several elections in the last couple election cycles be ties. And the, you, can't get, you can't get close to that. We don't, we're not here to talk about elections, but this is the kind of people in a small town have, a, have much more of a voice. That's a, so that kind of keeps it reined in. They regulate each other's behavior to a greater degree. Yeah, On I, the same regard, nobody lives off the tourist trade. So you have to have repeat customers, which means you can't be scamming the people who you're doing business with because you don't stand business that way. So what we're talking about is buying a distressed property. Now, it, let me let me describe what she's talking about, the tourist trade. First of all, if there's any tourist trade, this is not the town you're looking for. There's a town I would love to live in. 
I'd love to live in Rushport, Missouri. It's right there on the Katy Trail. Beautiful little town, but it's full of bed and breakfasts. And it's only 10 miles from Columbia, which is not a place I want to be if the stuff hits the fan. Way too close, way too easy to get to. And there's nothing to eat there. Yeah, there are no, no big, large no grain production. elevators full of food. There's, you can there's get no, really lit because it's full of wineries. <laughs> yeah, but there's no big grain ele- elevators full of food, okay? There's no fields of cattle roaming around. So here's the kind of place. Let's uh, talk about how we find the find the place. First of all, um, it has to be a small town that's accessible to you, but not on the interstate or a natural line of migration out of, of a Big city. Which includes railroad tracks, by the way. Yeah. At least main line. At least railroad main line. Yeah. At least main line. It should be within a day's drive of you, which uh, you don't want to be within 200 miles of a big city, but you probably don't want to be more than 500 miles away because that would be more than a day's drive, and it's no good if you can't get to it when you want it. Um, if it's on a sideline of a railroad, that's probably a plus. Somewhere that where the the tracks are the tracks are used but they're not shiny. Yeah, if the tracks are rusty in the spring and shiny in the fall, that's about that's the right the kind, kind of place, place we're talking about. Because they use it for taking the grain out. And you're clear my way as okay. he, as we reach an intersection. I'll try and keep us from getting hit. Uh, Heading towards Troy. The thing about uh, being on a sideline of a railroad track is that's usually where you find the grain elevators because they ship some of the. Uh, food out on trains. A lot of food, grain gets shipped on trains. So if they've got a grain elevator, as our little town's got a grain elevator, that means six months of the year, there's probably enough grain in that elevator to feed the whole town for a year if something went bad. Because people think, well, grain, we can feed that to cattle. No, let's look at it this way. You take a grain, you grind it up, you've got cornbread, cornmeal. You can do all kinds of stuff with cornmeal. If you get that as your base, first of all, it's gluten-free. So <laughs> There you are. There you are. You've got that, okay? You can make corn tortillas out of it if you know how. Right. If yeah. nothing else, corn mush is food. That's right. It may not be exciting food, but it's food. And that is a giant food store. There's not going to be people dying of starvation in our little town. In any kind of short order, because we have those really big food stocks, and we also have herds of cattle within reach. And not only that, but we have things to trade with the people who own that grain. It's not like we're going to steal their grain. But, you know, it sounds like this is a protection racket kind of thing, but it isn't. Because, uh, you know, if you don't have the protection of your neighbors, then you are on your own. Which reminds me, I want to mention something so I don't forget it. There's in town and there's out of town. Okay? In town is in, actually contiguous. Your land is next to somebody else's land and they're all in the, the city limits or the town limits. They're, they're right in town. If you are 200 yards out of town, you're not in town. We are talking about getting something that is in town here. Because the, the mental approach of who belongs and who doesn't works that way. And you want to respect that. Right. Uh, something I also appreciate is uh, we've been mentioning grain elevators because food production is a big deal. If you're doing this for a retreat you could go to if things get really bad, 
you want to go to a place that actually has a way where the people can produce enough food to sustain themselves. Right. So if you're looking around for places, a place to look around and find, a, oh, this place has a, has a really nice community garden. Now, you don't really care about the community garden. It just means the crops grow in that ground. That's one of our biggest challenges out at the place is we're going to have to basically import soil for what we're going to grow because the, the soil is just crud. It's junk. Yep. It's clay. That's why we could get it for so cheap is it's not suitable for row crop farming. But we know that. Yeah. And it's so what we we're could gonna, afford when and we, when we're we start doing our gardening, we're going to have to uh, fix the soil. That's part of the what's on tap. In fact, we're going to we'll probably do raised bed gardening because we're going to have to also fence everything in, which is something to consider. If you're in town, you don't have to fence except for like to rabbits. Deer are not going to be an issue in town. Out in in this country. kind of a situation, people will situation. shoot them and eat them. <laughs> yeah. They never make it that far because I'm going to shoot it and eat it. Yeah. But out in the country, at night, deer, will they will come. <laughs> <laughs> they will come. They will deforest you. You have to fence everything. We the have farmers fence. in our county lose the outermost five to ten rows of their corn every year to the deer. Yeah. They expect it. Part of it. So you... Plant the corn in big patches, because if it's a little patch, the deer get too high a percentage. And then you sell the hunting rights on your land for thousands of dollars. And people come and shoot the deer and help protect the yes. corn crop. An, an upside is that in this kind of small town, these old houses are usually readily available. Cheap. And they are cheap. Dirt cheap. You will not believe the kind of houses you can buy in a little town in the Midwest or in the Mid-South. Uh, you, you get into New York and there's, I don't know of any place. I'm, I'm not, a, I'm not in New York, you know, I'm not in a, but I don't know of places out there, but I know there are places that, that in just about every state where the, the prices are much more reasonable. And if you're making a 500 mile limit, because that's what you could drive in a day. You can get a lot of places. You can get a lot of places. But no, let me tell you. This 500-mile limit also includes having 500, or 500 miles worth of gasoline stored in your, facil- in your house at all times in, in containers you can take with you. So you need to be able to do this basically nonstop. Because if you need to get out of Dodge, you need to get out of Dodge, and you need to do it now. One of the reasons I want it close, I don't want it farther than 500 miles, is I want you to be able to get there. And I want it to not be... A trek for you to get there. I want it to be okay. We're leaving now. We'll be there tonight, kind of a deal, so that you will feel the the this. If you have to bug out, the su- people who do it successfully are going to be the people who leave early. Don't mess around with this stuff. So you want it to be close enough that you can pack up your stuff and go, because you're going to have a lot of stuff prepositioned in this house. Yeah. That's where most of the stuff you need is. This house, by the way, good roof. Good roof. Um, dry basement or root cellar, so you can keep your food preps there and have them be temperature controlled even when you are not running a bunch of electricity to cool or heat the house. It's best if the place has uh, well water. A lot of uh, places in town that don't have wells will have cisterns. You do want to check the quality of the water in either the well or the cistern to make sure it's drinkable and to figure out what you need to do to make it drinkable if it's not. If it doesn't have either of these things, then you need to think about where you're going to be getting water and have a way to get water to your house from that spot 
without a lot of uh, labor and drama. Now, again, we want to repeat, especially if it's a place that hasn't been lived in in a couple of years, get your well water tested. Do not assume it is drinkable. There, it may have bad things in it. Especially in farming country, there's a bunch of nitrates used as fertilizers, and they have contaminated a whole bunch of wells. Right, and if you're considering opening up an old well, you just really need to know what you're doing. And also, it's most likely going to be contaminated. And also, so, think about how you're getting the water out of the yeah, well. If you have an electrical pump and it's way down there, you know, you're going to have to find a way to power that pump. Or come up with a way to draw your water up without a electricity. Which it can be, certainly be done, but you need to think about that ahead of time. Okay. Yeah, we've got a cistern and water barrels, but we've also got an industrial trike that we could take down the hill to the pond year-round water source. Yeah. So, worst case, we're a mile from two different lakes. So, so old houses are actually good for this, because if you live in a climate where it gets hot at some part of the year, the old houses are, are built with the uh, kind of design and the kind of windows that allow good airflow. Make sure you've got them nicely screened. That'll be part of your... Uh, restoration part of the project but you want it to be reasonably comfortable oh screened in porches are a beautiful thing i grew up without air conditioning in a hot climate and man those screened in porches when you get to the weather the dog days of summer when it doesn't drop below 90 degrees even at night and it's 98 percent humidity and you're upstairs in the house where you normally sleep and it feels like you're broiling in your own sweat that screened-in porch is a thing of beauty. And now, something to keep in mind, even if you don't can't have a screened-in porch, you can still store screen so that you can screen in an area or sleep outside in a, in a covered area that's screened. It's just something to, to think about. Now, security you know, in a small town is going to be completely different than security in a city because, you know, you've got... It's just a different community. It's much safer in a small town than it will be in communities where nobody knows each other because you get this whole groove of you know everybody around you or they're used to you. They if they know everybody and you get this, well, you know, so and so wouldn't do so and so because that's so and so's grandmother's house. Or that's you know what I'm saying? Everybody knows everybody and it's this peer pressure of expected good behavior that will really help you out. There's I know also, this sounds cr crazy to people who don't live in a small town, but I kid you it's not. Truth. It's also true that everybody is kind of into each other's business a little bit. And everybody, it's true. if say there's somebody in, in our little town who decides they want to make off with our stuff and our security cameras and stuff don't dissuade them for whatever reason, they still know if they pull up to our house and start hauling out a bunch of stuff, there are three different neighbors who's, who are likely to see them. Right. And th those people will have a pretty good idea that, hey, that guy has no reason to be there and hauling a bunch of stuff out of Salty and Spice's place. And they're liable to call a couple blocks over to the sheriff's office and have somebody stop by and see what's going on. At the least, it'll be noticed who was doing it, what kind of vehicle they were driving, and things like that. So it doesn't have the kind of anonymity that it does in larger communities, which makes it a lot less tempting to go and try and lift stuff from somebody. 
Yeah. And it's one of the reasons we, we really like that. And you do, you will need to, if you do this, if you do what we're saying, you will need to spend a little time, get to know the neighbors, you know, have them over for a barbecue. And just, you don't, the, the key thing is you, you don't lie to people, but you tell them, you, you just need to get away from the city. I need to get away. I've got, I've got this need for, for having, you know, a place to be ourselves away from the rat race. And people in a small town will totally believe yeah. that. Because that's why they we, don't live in totally the city. We totally get that. That's why we're there ourselves. If we wanted to live in the cases. city, we'd live in the city. But we don't. And they don't either. You know, people in the city have this misapprobation or misunderstanding, I should say, that people who don't live in the city secretly want to. No. Not on a bet. Not on a bet. We don't live in the city because we don't want to put up with that kind of stuff. Period. End of discussion. And other people understand what we're talking about here. Other people get this. And those are the people you'll be talking about in. Yeah, those are going to be your neighbors. Those will be your neighbors. So, yeah. And that's what you're looking for. Because you can you can have a retreat, you can have a place, you can store all this stuff, so all of your eggs are not in one basket. You know what I'm saying? You have a place that you can get away to if you need to. And also, even if for something like a pandemic that's sweeping through the city, you can go to the country and you can seal yourself up and just not see anybody. And you'll be much safer. Um, if you're talking about... A situation where it may not be that the global stuff hits the fan, but your neighborhood's really unrest. You know, you live close to a, a neighborhood where there's rioting. You know, let's say, for example, you are in the St. Louis area and Ferguson breaks out again. And, you know, it's, it's just it's expanding and expanding. You can get out of that. You have a place to go to get away. To at least send, if one one person has to work, you can at least send the family, get the kids out of there. This is also also oper, operates offers a family the opportunity to split, and still be in the family safety. Another thing it does is it allows a chance for uh, you to have a location where you and say your sister and her family can both meet up, okay? Yeah, you can use these as uh, distant meetup places. Now, I do not recommend, I do not recommend joint purchases. One person or the other should buy the place. Because they're messy. Because, yeah, the, you don't, just don't do the other deal. Because you don't want money and family together. Money needs to be completely separate from family. It just, just get away from that, my opinion. You can do what you want. But I would never, if I owned a piece of property, actually, if you wanted to with like your, say your sister, your brother, let's say your sister, just I have a sister. You wanted to have a situation, you know, have them buy the little house right next door to you. Okay. Now, you will have some considerations doing this that you're going you're gonna to have some maintenance. You're going to have some taxes. You're going to have. Not a lot of taxes. By not the way. a lot of taxes. That property's not worth much. You're not going to have a lot of taxes. Um, and you're not talking about putting a big expensive house on the place. You're talking about keeping the little old house and just 
making sure it's got a good roof. Oh, good way to heat it. A good way to heat it, yeah. And, a and safe way to heat it. A safe way to heat it in the winter. Um, and also uh, another consideration, if you're going to have the uh, water turned on, you're going to have to keep it from freezing. Okay. So this is a consideration. Or you're going to drain the pipes in the winter and just keep, turn the water off. You, decisions you have to make. But one thing to keep in mind is you need a way to heat the house without electricity. And something like a ventless gas heater is a very inexpensive way of doing this. Or Because you get into the vented heaters, that's fine as long as they don't require electricity to run. A vented heater like, say, a sailboat they use on boats, they don't require electricity to run. Something like that. And that brings me to another point. I recommend, now, this is where some people go absolutely off the rails nuts about this because. Uh, they disagree. They disagree. Yeah. I'll just leave it at that. I recommend looking for a place with no building codes because you can do what you want with it. Now, re- realizing that you're buying a property that was built in a place with no building codes, but so you know that ahead home, of time. Have a good home inspector look at it. First. Have a good home inspector look at it. If you're in earthquake territory, make sure it's earthquake safe. And Think sh- about what the risks are where you are. Right. And, of course, you need to, to do things like have it insured as a vacation home. It's not, it's not a, that's not a big, that big of a deal. Um, so there are some expenses involved. On the other side of the coin, though, you have these expenses, but now you have a real tangible piece of property that... If you have to get a loan to get it, I'm not saying I'm not advising people to uh, buy this property by borrowing a bunch of money. First of all, I'm not advising you to buy buy anything expensive, so there won't be the bunch of money involved. But you know, if you borrow money, keep it to the very bit and pay it off as quickly as you can. That way, you will have a tangible, actual, physical asset that's worth. uh, It's it's worth something intrinsically because it's land. Now, you're in a small town, so you're not going to get that appreciation in value other than the fact that if you fix up the property and make it have much better curb appeal, you know, it could resell at a higher rate than you bought it, but you're not making money on this place. You're not making money. But what you are doing is you are putting some of your money or your uh, investable resources into something tangible and solid rather than just putting it in the stock market and who knows what's going to happen. And it's not currency dependent. It's not currency dependent. It'll still be there. No matter what. As long as you, as long as you pay the taxes, which aren't that much, it's yeah. yours. And you make sure you pay your taxes. <laughs> and you're good. So, And really, the type of property we're talking about, and it depends on how handy you are, the type of pro- property we're talking about Often, if it just had some some uh, cosmetic work done to it by the seller before they sold it, it would have sold for a much higher level. You're not going to have. We're not talking about marble counters here, okay? We're not talking about uh, necessarily move in ready to live in full time. You may need to put in new carpeting. You may need to put in new linoleum floors. Oh. <gasps> <laughs> I don't. We're not talking about faux wood floors here. We're talking about places with hardwood floors that you may need to refinish. 
Okay. We, there may be some elbow grease needed here by you or Mr. Handyman. Now, a lot of these places you can find people to work very cheaply who do a good job. There's a lot of people around who know how to do stuff. Right, and depending on your area, there's a lot of people, and I don't really, this sounds like I'm, I'll, but I'll just come out and say it. Like in our area, there's a lot of young Mennonite men who work very inexpensively and do an extremely good job. They're very, very, very good at what they do, but they don't charge an arm and a leg. So that's just something to consider. Uh, Amish people do a lot of this interior work. So this is the kind of thing. And you look, I like personally like communities with Mennonites and Amish in them because they tend to be very honest communities. Yeah, we have a lot of uh, Mennonites in our county, and they are good neighbors. Yes, very good neighbors. So just, there's some thoughts. Have you got anything else for our list? I'm sure we'll think of something once we hang up, though. Of course we will, once we hang it up. But I think we've hit the main things we wanted to hit on this one. Enjoy the place, too. Yeah, you want it, You want this to be a place that you will enjoy getting away from. Yeah, and it could be one of those deals where you find something, if you can, that they have something that interests you nearby. For example, if you like wind sailing or windsurfing. Wind sailing, actually, wind sailing. Find a place with a lake not too far away. It doesn't have to be a touristy lake. In fact, it's better off that it isn't. But have a body of water nearby that you can that you can do that on. If you like to fish, that's pretty easy. Lots of places have good fishing lakes around. So, you know, find something you like to do. And if people, if you talk about the place, we call ours the place, but if you talk about your your, your place in the country... And you talk about it, you say, well, yeah, that's my fishing cabin. It's or not my, right on a lake or anything because I couldn't afford that, but it's my fish. It's where I go, and then I can go fishing. Give it's my them, getaway. Right. Your getaway. It's not, it is not your prepping retreat. A B-O-L. It is not. Even though it is your B-O-L, it's not your B-O-L. Now, the key reason you want to do something like this instead of, uh, you know, instead of some of the other options, is it gives you a place to go if you have to bug out. But it's not just bugging out to bug out. It is gives you a place to actually go. It's not making a refugee of yourself by bugging out. Right. You're going to your minor property. Okay. I think that pretty well covers it. You ready to hang it up? Spices out. Have a good day.